Uh, welcome back to Material Analysis. This is episode 25, and this is actually the last episode of the year for us. And by the year, we mean it's been a year since we started and then an anniversary episode. So who knew that we'd make it this far? We're Woo! really excited about this. Although, you know, we are now a beleaguered group of three on this particular episode. We were not us at our, with our most scintillating cast of people, but still, we have been hanging on, which is which is the point. And it's been nice to see the pod community grow. So uh, today's episode is called Don't Fear the Reaper. You might recognize the reference, but uh, even if you don't, it's generally about you know, the mood of gloom and doom that exists right now with respect to the pandemic and the really gruesome levels of death that we're seeing every day and that has become a kind of weird new normal for us uh, within a very short period of time. And uh, what we want to do is to talk a little bit about the way in which um, cultures have imagined uh, mass death, uh, especially through disease, through pandemic uh, and epidemic uh, over the centuries to sort of um, think of this as not a new phenomenon, but as something that does tend to come and go in waves, has been throughout our history. And to see, uh, you know, people's need to grapple with this uh in ways that are not just direct, unmediated, painful life, right? To do it through text, through art, through imagination, um, so that some of these very sort of out of hand feelings we tend to have about a time like this uh, can can play out with a little more patience, a little more texture, um, a little more creativity, and and to see uh, you know what philosophical and political takeaways we have from that. Uh, so. Uh, we're, we're kind of going to go back and forth a little bit between different cultures and different periods of time just because we don't want to get fixated on one particular idea of pandemic. So even though we talk about the Reaper in our title, we're definitely not going to restrict it to just the Western world. Uh, we have here with us today Comrade Vela, Comrade Chandu and myself, Pinky. Often when you start to think of pandemics and epidemics and mass death, uh, through disease, it's uh, the popular culture thing is to immediately start thinking about the Black Death. So that is like the main famous instance of history. But the first great plague pandemic was much before the Black Death. It was a uh, it was during the reign of the Byzantine Emperor Justinian I. So we are talking about sixth uh, century. Uh, see, so Constantinople was struck by the uh, Great Plague and it killed uh, tens of people. Uh, the, it was very likely that uh, that that was also a plague, like plague being the specific disease of plague. Mm -hmm. And uh, like at that time also, that plague was casted in popular culture as wrath of God against, uh, you know, against uh, like uh, decadent mm -hmm. sinful people. Mm -hmm. And there is a lot of like, so that point I was trying to make is that instead of starting at medieval times and with Black Death stuff, it might be useful to go a little backwards as well. So like even before like Byzantine times, even before the Roman Empire, you also had a 
uh, mass death in the Greek city-states. So you had mass deaths in, uh, for example, Athens, uh, where Thucydides was a witness to one such plague. And uh, uh, as you might know that a lot of Greek culture uh, was affected by that plague. So, uh, by the way, the plague of Athens killed almost 100,000 people, which mm. for a 400 BC city is a lot. This affected the culture of Athens at that time. This religion lost a lot of force in that society because uh, Thucydides wrote that, you know, people became indifferent to laws as well as religion. Superstition changed forms and you, you have like other sort of uh, elements in the artwork of that time. Say, I would also add that I think, you know, you mentioned um, ancient Greece, 400 BC and uh, the 6th century AD. Oh, sorry. Yeah, CE, um, yeah. which is yeah. when, when the next mass plague happened. But in between, obviously, there's the whole cultural force of Christianity, right? And I do think yes. of the biblical plagues, which are in some way, some is not about actual plague, but the Old Testament narratives about God sending 10 plagues to um, Egypt to, you know, uh, make them release the Israelites and so on. There's there's a certain imagination of the plagues as literally God sent as a way of taming the population, right? Culling the bad elements and and retaining the the holy or the sinless, you know, um, innocence and so on. That I think are uh, it, it's it's lasted for a very long time. And obviously, I think in that period between that you mentioned, you know, Jesus lived and died and. Um, the New Testament gets written and particularly I think the book of Revelations also is written um, somewhere around I think the end of the first century CE. So you're you're looking at like a lot of these imaginations of punishment and redemption and so on that really guide how people are thinking of diseases, right? You know, part of it comes from this need to put a framework on suffering, right? That, that there needs to be something then there needs to be meaning in suffering. There needs to be a purpose to it, which yeah. uh, which Christianity always kind of has the, you know, uh, that the, its relationship with suffering has always been very tense that way, and uh, and it's 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 been really important to the philosophy of the religion. Um, yeah. But uh, over time, uh, you know, especially in the twentieth century, I think uh, we do come across certain works that uh, sort of find it increasingly uh, harder to uh, to have this kind of predetermined uh, framework for, for justifying suffering, right? And so I'm thinking off the top of my head, uh, Camus, The Plague, and which is the typical book, of course, uh, to go to at a time like this. But I'm struck particularly by the, the, by the scene where... Um, you know, the, the, when the child gets the plague and the priest is so horrified by it that he actually comes really close to losing his faith in God. I think it even starts in the 19th century, right? I mean, uh, we, we, uh, you can look at Poe's the, the Mask of Red Death also as one of these very non-spiritual... Uh, I mean, it's been considered allegorical, though, of course, I think good scholars tend to want to disturb that a fair bit. But this idea of people being afflicted by... I mean... The plague not necessarily having biblical connotation. Poe is kind of playful in his in his narrative of, of uh, playful and, of course, creating that sense of horror. And there's a class critique in Poe's story too, right? Where um, the main character who's the prince who's, uh, whose mask gets 
Elon Musk, M-A-S-Q-U-E, whose masquerade yeah. party gets invaded by this by this spectral figure of the Red Death. Um, it's also this idea that you can't really cloister yourself away from something like this, uh, where no matter how hard, you know, you, you try to pretend that the plague is what takes place outside and that yeah. your home can be a kind of sanctuary against it. Uh, I, it's also very, particularly grim to think in the current moment of what it means uh, for your homes to to maybe not be uh, the the bastion that you think it is. Politics around the culture of plagues have been around for a while. For example, in, in China, you had the concept of the mandate of heaven, which basically means that if there are too many epidemics or famines or any kind of mass death, that uh, that signified that the ruling class had its mandate taking uh, taken away from it, and that it was time for a new dynasty, and mm. uh, it was okay to rebel. And uh, uh, which, by the way, is a very different sort of framework than the Christian divine right of kings. Like it concerns the investiture of the heavens on the monarch themselves or the or the dynasty and the. Uh, like the success of a rebellion itself signifies the justice of that rebellion in a very weird right. logical twist. I mean, and it's interesting a... because even in the Western tradition, the you know the idea that there is such a thing as the body politic, right, and the king's body is also kind of standing for the state. Um, that aspect has been there as well. Even like as early as the sh- uh, records of the grand historian China's first history book, which was compiled in the Han Dynasty by uh, Sao Ma Chin, uh, mentions, uh, mentions earlier plagues, plagues which happened apparently thousands of years before that first history book of China was written. And it sort of uh, tries to have this very blasé sort of unrom view of them it doesn't even ascribe divinity or what have you but it's interesting that uh, relevant to talk about what what the people thought and uh, what was the court officials doing and how did that affect dynastic changes etc again you know we talk about the black death which killed like 200 million people but the plague of justinian ended up killing like a hundred million people and like in today's time, when the total death toll all across the world is like, you know, still in the tens of thousands and yet that shakes up so much. Imagine mm-hmm. like 500, 80, 100 million people dying. That was 50% of Europe's population. So twice mm-hmm. in history has half of Europe's population been killed. That is a scale of disaster and apocalypse which we cannot culturally imagine it. A couple of things I think that uh, people have been trying to think through. One is, of course, that will we see normalcy in our uh, lifetime, right? That it's not just a generational thing because looking back, it seems easy to say that, oh, this was just affected for like 100 years or 300 years. But, right, um, right. but you know, so will what did people who experienced it in their lifetime, like did they feel like they had managed to have rich full lives? Um, and, right. I, you know, I have been seeing, for example, memes going around about, well, Shakespeare wrote King Lear during <laughs> the plague. So, you know, perhaps people did. But then the other thing I think that's also um, causing some cynicism right now is that people are... Th- People are thinking of this moment as exceptional because of climate change. One thing I did want to talk about before we move on to more modern times is the Decameron. 
so the decameron is a story uh, written around i think uh, 14th century which is uh, 100 short stories there is like a frame tale so there is like a the frame tale is that black death is happening seven women and three men uh, trying to flee from it uh, find a place to hide away and then they have nothing to do so they tell these 100 stories uh in one for uh, over the course of two weeks and uh, a lot of tales are told uh tales of wit tales of fortune tales of this and that uh, uh, only one of the 10 people is given the honor of telling a tale on any topic they want so we have mm-hmm. a comrade pramod in that group as well who can veer off into whatever tangent he wants uh, uh but the like basically it's a podcast in the black death that's what they were doing these 10 people in a house like we are doing a podcast right now and they were telling these tales and arguably with a little more narrative flair <laughs> arguably much better than us like their stories are way better quality than whatever and more than podcasters more i mean they they covered 100 stories in 2 weeks that's discipline first of all how many episodes do we re- record even in sitting at house in our lockdown new new, like, new take on the cameron where the work ethic of the storytellers is going to be <laughs> see as a socialist I can, you know, I want to abolish work, but I always appreciate labor. You know, especially labor done without. Uh, this then, this know, is uh, heading into controversial territory, whether it's labor or leisure. But okay, but I think yeah, it's interesting to think of storytelling about the dark times, and then storytelling like despite, right? Like storytelling yes, as yes. distraction versus storytelling as a kind of testifying. so i think w- what would also be interesting is to look back and see um that you know but also how the storytelling reveals the state that culture and society was in right so remember right. like uh, comrade bella was talking about plague as a punishment but a lot of decameron is poking fun at that right in the middle of the plague like mm-hmm. a lot of decameron is poking fun at the clergy at the feudal lords and the idea that the plague is a is a punishment sent from god a lot of the decameron is trying to subvert that you have like local resistance happening right in the middle of doom i was also thinking when we think about these stories as a reflection of the times you know a lot of the famous artwork from 20th century uh, renditions of like pandemics for instance the spanish flu right they come at a very existential right. moment um and you know edward munch is a big popular one he has a couple of self portraits uh one within the flu because he did survive the spanish flu and another after the flu and they are very morose you know isolated uh figures it's just him sitting in the in a room with you know some of his books and the entire posture radiates this sort of failure and hopelessness um i believe he lost his some of his family members not to the spanish flu but to other diseases i think tuberculosis and cholera i think um and so there's very much this air of like hopelessness and melancholy around among just yes. things right i'm even thinking of authors like like you mentioned uh comrade uh, pinky that uh, you know 
Camus, the plague has this very sort of overtone of, of gloom and doom. And then you also have, I'm thinking of Kafka, you know, he wrote, um, he also contracted the Spanish flu, but he also wrote um, as a tuberculosis patient and was, you know, basically he wrote mm-hmm. The Hunger Artist at a time when he was literally dying of starvation because he could not swallow anything. So these are very mm-hmm. sort of tales reflective of this early 20th century modernist moment um, coming out of the war, coming out of these great pandemics, right? And there's this, there's the, the, the individual as a figure, right? is re- very much defeated by this onslaught of uh, of nature and and of his body right which is basically a failing yeah. body and i think you know when when you mentioned tuberculosis for example um there have been uh depictions of say the bohemian artist who contracts tuberculosis or kind of like the keatsian figure and things yeah. like that that have a little more um romantic like a more of a romantic air associated with them in the mm-hmm. sense that, like, this wispy kind of, you know, um, uh, ailing, sensitive artist figure. Uh, but yeah. what's interesting about pandemic is that a lot of the time, there is this big mass crisis going on, right? Like, the weight of yeah. which is very crushing. But because of the fear of contagion, uh, the individual cannot really uh, take pleasure in community either. So, neither, like, neither do they have the glory of this being their sort of heroic individual personality but neither do they get the solace of like actually sharing that in the way you know sharing that with other people in the way that would be comforting because people are sort of driven indoors so it's a very awkwardly between um sharing grief and then being isolated and I, I think that's something that just makes uh these these pandemic situations just very you know emotionally difficult but also it's a very European preoccupation with death as well, right? I mean, I imagine when you've had history after history of the plague, yeah, yeah. population, as uh, Chandu mentioned, like each time having half your population of the continent just disappear, um, and when disease is like a constant accompaniment to your, your existence, um, yeah. then imagining death in these gloom and doom ways becomes a very cultural preoccupation. And I think right. we often turn to these also because we don't have figures of, you know, like individualist figures in maybe East Asian, South Asian kinds of art and literature, right? We are very so community oriented that the idea of individual suffering is just not written to our cultural imagination. And I think that's something that I find interesting when I look at this artwork. It's it's so liberating to see the soul figure, you know, screaming into the void or staring off into, you know, uh, what, you know, I'm thinking of like Salvador Dali's paintings, for instance. So they're all kind yeah, of in this yeah. strange moment, yeah. So how would, okay, uh, so one thing that would be interesting to explore then is how have non-Western cultures, you know, how has the Global South sort of explored uh, disease and and pandemic in their artistic imagination because uh, so much of the preoccupation is with I think poverty and hunger and disease yes but disease that often comes uh, out of a I don't know um, it's almost tied to these moments of say uh, imperialism or you know the larger point seems to be that it it is the uh, it, it's the third world nature of it that's responsible for the problem, right? Uh, it yeah. doesn't it it hasn't always been given the dignity of being like pure suffering or or this, you know. Right. Uh, so, but but that is not to say that the texts have not explored it. Um, and so, can we think of some examples that have? If you are talking about art, I would say that uh, propaganda art is also art, right? Uh, yeah, I was oh, yeah, looking totally. at uh, I was looking at 
essentially the Chinese response to the plagues. So one of the like, so this whole cycle of plagues being uh, associated with uh, change of uh, state power has been like a consistent thing in China. And like Mao himself, one of the things that uh, like helped Mao get into power was that before Mao, there was in the 1910s a, uh, an epidemic in Manchuria. And once Mao got into power, one of his like uh, really important areas of focus was plague. Like in the 1950s, he launches this entire campaign for uh, tackling plague. It's very interesting that a lot of this campaign was very simplistic. It basically said that you have to kill four pest animals, flies, mosquitoes, rats and sparrows. Okay. Oh, okay, okay. So there are, you know, it's very easy to say, ha, 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 killing, going around killing sparrows. But I think that you have to look at it in a very, uh, like, first of all, you have to look at the art aspect of it. The art aspect of it is nothing to sneer at, like the, the sheer cultural weight, because you have to, again, this is a poor country right out of the Second mm. World War with pandemics and public health crisis and a lot of things going on. Mm. And yet managing to get a large part of the population to even care about such a campaign directed at health is something impressive. Secondly, it's true that a lot of sparrows were killed and that led to ecological problems, like grave ecological problems, so much so that they suddenly replaced the sparrows with bedbugs and like they pretended that, oh, it was like bedbugs. You are supposed to kill bedbugs. You are not supposed to kill sparrows. And then people <laughs> went with it. Uh, which is like, you know, very uh, like uh, telling, but also the fact that, you know, it was motivated from a place of caring about the health of a population in a country which had or never really thought about the life and death of the poor peasant before. Just the art campaign, the propaganda campaign is something worth looking at. So I think when you are looking at the cultural aspect of epidemic and how people have reacted to it, Yes, a lot of people have reacted with sort of this existential crisis, doom and gloom. Yes, people in the past have reacted with religious fervor and things like that. People have tried to like sort of sort of thing we are doing, you know, like as a culture making podcasts and uh, like sort of trying to like cheer each other up. And also one reaction has been mass resilience. This idea of a heroic response to a epidemic that this is our enemy and we as a people are going to fight it as a cultural thing that is worth looking at yeah and i'm trying to think if there are indian um, artists or authors I, I certainly don't know enough about indian art who have grappled with um, with what disease has wrought right because i think uh, poverty is so large in the indian imagination right that all even imaginations of disease have sort of been very wrapped up in deprivation and what it does to the most marginalized groups i'm thinking of which, which know, is very surprising right considering yeah. like 17 million indians specifically in the northern plains died in the Spanish flu. I think the largest death toll yeah. on the planet anywhere. Like 1.7 crores Indians dying. I refuse yeah. to believe that, you know, there, there was, was no engagement cultural this, right? and artistic uh, reactions. Uh, but let's talk a bit about Samskara because it has, it kind of sort it of does. does. It does. I mean, I was going yeah. to say that in, in, the, in the Hindi literature realm, I think, you know, Surya Kantripati Nirala's uh, 
family he lost quite a few family members to the spanish flu i think premchand off offhand also mentions cholera and some other diseases in some of his his stories yes. um i think yes, kadam actually features cast again as well like i think it's a it's a dalit who actually dies of um cholera again i think so there there's it's it's peripheral to the narrative because the you know struggle with like you know the social conditions of poverty i think are far more central in hindi novels at least um but yeah samskara is one of those uh, novels it's a, it's a novel written by ur anandmurthy in kannada it was released in in uh, karnataka and then was only recently translated into english um, probably in the 90s i think ak ramanujan did the first translation and some more recently i think new york Re- uh, review of books had had more recent um, translations but yeah so one of the few stories that actually centered the plague and quite unlike the hindi belt um, takes on a very elite group a brahmin community living in an agrahara in karnataka in the tirthalli region um and and in in some ways uh, it's very interesting that uh, he chose to focus on a community of brahmins uh, who are then beset by the plague and the plague is really a metaphor for Uh, a lot of things because the central conundrum in the novel is that a, a brahmin who has really strayed from the path of brahmanism who has you know who drinks alcohol eats meat and has basically been in a living relationship with uh with an untouchable woman um is has has come back with a fever and then dies in this agraharam and they they're not sufficiently informed of the plague enough to realize that he has the plague their bigger conundrum is does a brahmin who has basically broken his you know uh caste rich his ritual purity um can he be cremated with the full brahmin rites and this is really the central preoccupation of the novel because anthmurthy was very preoccupied with of course the orthodoxy of brahmanism and the fact that it did, did not um it did not reflect india's path towards modernity um and the novel is hugely received in kannada right and and the plague is still a little bit peripheral but as as each brahmin in the novel keeps dying of the plague uh there's a real sort of grappling with with what uh retaining caste purity actually means in a world that is clearly and and for a while, for a for a you know the bubonic plague uh, for a disease which basically does not see caste right and it, it the, the community all ends up dying the one priest who does seem to uh, who who does seem to have uh, survived it leaves the community and and even questions whether he should remain a priest and remain a brahmin and so it's a very it's a very strange novel to read in the in 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 contemporary times mainly because it's preoccupied with brahmanism in a very orthodox way does not really reflect our times very realistically but at the same time considering what time it was written in very interesting to grapple with what social mores are like and i don't know if either of you have read it and if you have thought my my tension with samskara and it's a very real tension is that on one hand i don't like the focus or the lens of brahmanism to look at brahmanism on the other mm. hand it's it is sincerely done in the sense that something as abhorrent as the caste system as as brahmanism is looked at from within itself and its sheer uh, uh, contradictions and its sheer abhorrentness as a system is exposed when hammered with something as powerful as disease and with our current disease wherein we have seen that you know people have tried to make these weird connections of uh, physical distancing with uh, with untouchability and god knows what that these are questions worth exploring and questions to keep attacking like samskara can be 
problematized and it should be problematized we need to move ahead we need to have a samskara of our times we need to question mm-hmm. the sort of not just brahmanical but like the middle class marte hai to mar jane do sort of way in which the migrant laborers have been treated right. culturally the right. the way the uh, uh, the cultural force of fascism wherein it has managed to create like a mass popularity out of uh, you know uh, middle class nonchalance and middle class cavalierness towards disease we could do with the samskara of our age and uh, you know perhaps it requires a uh, a middle caste middle class traitor to sort of really look at their community instead of you know there we have this bad habit right examine the poor examine the diseased examine the afflicted yes. well perhaps we need yes. to examine the non afflicted and see their inhumanity and expose it despite uh, some parabolic all brahmanical even in its narration and its gaze i think the the fact is that the impact of a disease on a community and its endogamy and self ostracism as a way of life right is really problematized by anand murthy in a way that's very interesting because if we have caste endogamy and we all just withdraw in to our you know not if because we have caste and dogmi we withdraw into our little gated communities we're able to form these little class ghettos um and basically consign the outer world as you know fuck them they they were born into the wrong caste they were born, they aren't they were born poor they just cannot escape their social conditions and collateral damage is unfortunately what a pandemic brings with it and we have to some people are going to have to die so that others can live right this is the logic of the the upper caste middle class uh, um society that really dominates what even the covid narrative has been in india i feel because yes, exactly. much of this has been debates about economy and return to normalcy and the question of who's going to how are people literally going to survive until this so called normalcy returns is really not a question that many people are entertaining seriously yeah right. because their lives were written off from the start right and i was thinking yeah. about this as you we were talking uh which is one difference between the way that um the pandemics have been envisioned in western texts or at least what we recognize in, in the western imagination versus uh india at least um as a case study is it's not that you know there isn't disease in in our in our history and in in our imagination i mean you know there's so much talk about cholera for example you know why does poverty seem to be the lens that uh takes over when we think about india because it's not like poverty wasn't a problem in the west and it's not like um plague and things like that were not associated with the failure of infrastructure right because they were and mm-hmm. one of the things that uh, i actually encountered in sort of researching the 20th century city in say um say cities like london you know certain symbols for example like the rat or whatever was seen as particularly um threatening because it was seen as a sort of return of the medieval past that the western world thought it had left behind and mm. um so it, it's almost as though the this like failed period so called failed period of infrastructure of civilization is not what the west truly is right the west gets to have this um teleology where they like progress uh and which is why uh, you know that this idea is that it was a very it, the dark ages right like it's very dark past that they had and any kind of recurrence of that is almost like a return of the repressed whereas in the indian context and arguably in like uh, applicable to a lot of the south asian context it's almost as though 
we were not meant to have any better right like we there is no there is no sort of glorious arc of progress that we've we've had the right to claim so to speak and I, any sorry i was just going to add in samskara actually modernity is a very serious question that the novel yeah. actually questions whether modernity can ever push the past behind or whether we can only coexist with it right because the whole exactly. indian imagination is tradition meets modernity in the same whatever, whatever and, you know and coexistence and, co- and and sort of yeah coexistence with our failures seem to be something that people have resigned themselves to in the resigned themselves to in the current moment right mm-hmm. because it's mm-hmm. almost like oh we're never going to really leave all this behind like we're always going to have masses of poor starving people but what it really means is that some people get to survive and some people don't at the same moment right and as much as hindutva keeps peddling i mean hindutva particularly sanghi narratives keep peddling this wonderful glorious hindu modernity and hindu progress that is going to come with scientific advancement they are very anti intellectual and yep. in many ways they actually do not believe that this modernity is going to come they want yeah. it to coexist with the tradition in a way that is not even that the in which all the tension is removed right some things will be modern and some things will be traditional and they see the divide as very clean they are wrong like even they, they are a part of modernity like the sort yeah. of nonsense religion they preach that is also a part of modernity that's not even re- like i mean like, they might you know, they like, might say that though like i i don't even put it past them to yeah it's like agnivir actually they're very very much this merging of the scientific technological imagination with the hindu glorious vedic past right that is what, what they're yeah but what like blows my mind is that uh, they're not really embarrassed to appear backdated or crude like all these you know yeah. banging of yeah. pots and pans and all of that that modi is advocating for um people are comforted by it and you know middle class educated people are comforted by class and caste solidarity right yeah. it is i mean that's which what the comfort is which, is which is why i really wanted this episode like i like i want to see if at all art and culture and movies by the way we haven't talked about movies yet and we should get into oh. that cultural struggle is very hard to do anyway and like the right has always won that in india but yes. like i said we need another iteration of the samskara we need middle class gaze at middle class nonsense in the mm-hmm. time of plague like we need to get people out of this comfort zone where they have gone into where they think that you know that their sorrow of being locked in a room is that what that matters and the, and that the way towards liberation is to i don't know bake breads every day mm-hmm. or something like mm-hmm. uh, the the simple fact is that millions of people are in peril they have nothing to eat and they are being treated in a very bad way by the ruling society this this just wouldn't do people are starving and people are falling down walking on the roads if we cannot even have token protests if we can't mm-hmm. even culturally register it then, then there is there should be no talk of culture then we might as well say that even samskara was a peak of you know uh, uh, subverting caste or whatever because we are certainly not doing anything better here but like let's take that point of movies hollywood and bollywood both because i think if we are talking of culture it's important to touch a bit upon movies all kinds of movies and how they have thought of a popular culture and- yeah popular culture is this interesting space where 
it's not that you know these profound emotions about about whatever failure of civilizations are not explored in fact they are often the driving anxieties or you know um isolation loneliness uh suffering all of that is very much explored uh in movies but um it's it it gets to focus on these um protagonists right which i think right. often changes uh often changes the, the stakes of it and instead of maybe instead of seeing it as part of this long legacy of literature and art that has depicted um uh, pandemics it situates itself as uh within this sort of contemporary cluster of genres often things like uh apocalypse disaster dystopia and it o- it often doesn't inspect its own sort of long history with a more somber kind of you know artistic depiction uh zombie movies are a big example of that like zombie movies like they used to be pretty campy but like then they became pretty serious i don't know have you guys like read z or like it it had a movie rendition also but that was not very good it's like a zombie what the movie rendition world war z cuz i think i, world I saw war z, world war z world yes, world I war z yeah. so like <laughs> like yeah yeah the movie is ter- terrible but like so for a zombie like movie which is no fairly old this was much yeah. more recent <laughs> Mm-hmm. these movies have taken a very like a uh, modern almost epidemic like look at zombies like they're very clinically presented there are rules on how to deal with zombies how to yeah. contain zombies how to prevent infection how to like you know like a, a lot of language of epidemic is used a lot of language of the, of the medical sort of language and the sort of you know social measures imposed and quarantining and a lot of these things are tackled in these movies so like perhaps like that is also a reflection of at least western society being keenly aware of that you know mass deaths are a thing and also east asian society because zombie movies are very popular oh, yeah. in south korea you know tr- i believe train to busan was a recent one uh, yeah. uh, if i am not, not wrong i wish uh, uh, comrade dilip were here he's a korean movie fan we really get to talk about uh, pandemics in the context of capitalism like i do think that that is one space where that seems to be the context so either it's self aware or it's not self aware right yeah, either both, it's both, america both, yeah both. yeah the korean yeah. movies a lot of the time are offering a very explicit class critique but a lot of the time the hollywood movies for example uh, fear america being encroached upon by these sort of disease bearing immigrants yeah. right or rather, or an american goes out like into the heart of some country that they think of as mm-hmm. um dangerous and then they kind of bring it back with them and um right. i saw a very good article actually about um contagion uh, which talks about you know it's finally in the conversation right like that uh, people have always been traditionally talking about migrants like immigrants like you know poor like black and brown immigrants carrying disease with them but th- this mm-hmm. is one moment where people have been also closing the doors uh to uh western tourists right and thinking about mm-hmm. those uh privileged sort of wealthy white people with uh, passport mobility right like those who, yeah. who are the ones who actually get to go globe trotting and and take their their <laughs> whatever they're carrying with them everywhere um so that's been an interesting development in the in the conversation and i was also thinking popular culture in general has um 
the um, it it does in automatically allow us to inspect the relationship between um, disease or whatever preoccupation uh, and capitalism. And I was thinking of why dystopia genre actually as as another kind of aspect of pop culture that allows us to uh, inspect this a little bit, because I have recently had reason to dig deeper into this genre than I would otherwise have chosen on my own. Uh, and uh, one book that I came across was called Feed by M.T. Anderson. Um, and so it explores this dystopia where basically like the human brain is constantly hooked onto a feed, which is very much like our timelines basically. But it's one of those things where you can't switch off. It's like actually embedded in your brain. And you're constantly bombarded with ads and things like that. And people can switch it off, but they never choose to do so because they're hooked to it all the time. And um, and so people are going about their daily activities and doing things and they can distinguish between their material reality and the reality of the feed. But they are very much inhabiting both those things at the same time, usually. And they're always in a state of sort of hyper stimulation. So one of the things that happens in feed is that a character who didn't like their family couldn't afford to get the sort of um you know best quality feed installed and they couldn't afford to get it installed for the child at a very young age so this person gets the feed installed later and sort of gets a cheaper version of it and it starts acting up uh and it starts acting up in a way that it becomes clear that the feed has actually taken over the entire body honestly like deeply upsetting uh hunt to like try and get medical uh treatment for it but this person can't get medical treatment for it because it keeps getting caught between the um the tech people and then the medical industry basically like where they the doctors are like yeah you need this treatment but then the tech people are like oh we can't help you because sorry like you'd need some kinds of insurance for which we don't have and this person keeps getting shunted around and there's a refusal to acknowledge that the feed is biological, right? Even though they know that it is and they exploit that association as well. And I thought it was super insightful, honestly. Um, and in some ways, of course, the novel was nostalgic because it's sort of wishing back to a simpler time when we didn't have this relationship with technology. People have been thinking intelligently about what it means, um, what disease means in a world where we don't just live like pure organic reality, right? There are all these different right. registers of reality that are intersecting with each other. So well, they, I, yeah. zombie films, I think the interesting thing that they do is they disrupt this world order where technology and techno capitalism control so much. Um, mm -hmm. And in some ways shove the survivors back into this almost pre-technological era, right? Everyone is yeah. in survivor mode. Yeah. They have to live off the wild. They yeah, are off but, the but, but like that is what makes them reactionary. Now you never see yeah. a zombie movie ending with oh let us as a community do this blah blah like a lot of zombie yeah. movie becomes about like people getting isolated and then yes. essentially it becoming about individuals so it's, yeah it's also the hopelessness that um once we've reached this point that the natural instinct in people is to be selfish right like even even yeah. in feet, for example a lot of the discussion around the novel is that even though the critique of uh, late capitalism is completely on point it's still this inability to imagine that people can be anything other than selfish yes, it's yes. very yeah. cool like, it's like that, yeah. capitalism will collapse and we will go back to some kind of barbarism that is or or capitalism the... is the barbarism right and we're all yeah, yeah. um trapped in our 
little bubbles yeah by the way um, i have a question is there any indian movie you guys can think of which has dealt with mass disease and there's a movie made in kerala about like Malayana, their yeah, virus which which yeah. basically is a retelling of uh, shelja and teachers Nip- of the nipa yeah. virus right yeah. yeah so that's the only one that really comes to mind because when i was trying to find bollywood movies that dealt with mm-hmm. disease all of them are like rare diseases non contagious diseases or conditions right like aspergers or uh, yeah, cerebral right right, right, right. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah, yeah. not the master like i i don't want to make grand conclusions and also people have a habit of jumping off the handle in enthusiasm whenever kerala is mentioned but <laughs> perhaps that does tell us a, like i know comrade pramod would like be like no kerala is just like any other place and perhaps like all the chest thumping is bad and i agree the chest thumping is bad but uh there i mean at least i think we all would agree that you know there is a sort of attention that is being paid in kerala which is multiple times more than any other place in the country when it comes to like a cultural recognition of the nature of what public health is so mm-hmm. i would say that exists in kerala at least yeah, even I mean, there, made a there's a real yeah there's a real awareness of of health as a that in order to take disease seriously you have to take health seriously like you yes. have to Public actually health. care about wellness yeah and you have to have some some commitment to the idea of public sanitation and and health and survival in order yeah. for the in order for the solemnity of disease to even strike you as as a as a profound and poignant thing right yeah, the way that hunger has community approaches to health which is very different from health and wellness which is the wellness industry right which is all yeah. about oh, healing yeah, yeah. your body through yoga and shit like that that actually yeah. is in some ways you know it's it's in many ways making you a much better worker for the capitalist class that's literally yeah. what a lot of the wellness industry centered around which is the whole you know art of living foundation and all that garbage but yeah. in in contrast to that is the community health imagination right which is that yeah, sanitation yeah. and hygiene combined with nutrition right and access to food access to actual healthcare all of these put together will actually make for a healthy society and that Whereas does i think we are still in 2020 as unbelievable as it seems i think we are still in some ways stuck in um, hunger we need to rescue health from this you know trying to offload health on the shoulder of the individual worker exactly. and trying and to make them to, and we also need to be able to have the integrity and the courage to dissociate health from just this like bourgeois idea of yes, exactly. uh, civic like civic we, values right there's a lot of leftists who are very squeamish about accepting that these are actual genuine concerns that are necessary yes. for life yes mm-hmm. yes they are and mm-hmm. calling them bourgeois concerns is complete nonsense no like th- that is also like basically saying that the bourgeois deserve help uh, and yeah, yeah. Uh, like and the proletariat doesn't like being like, essentially noble about being poor right which is yeah which, which is complete nonsense is amplified by the stupid you know the cost of the covid test in india and how kiran mazumdar shah and all these other capitalists are basically saying that 4000 rupees is a perfectly 4500 rupees or whatever is a perfectly reasonable amount to charge people for a uh, covid test so that's mm. the right wing that's the right wing philosophy but then there's like sometimes this bizarre strand of left wing backlash which is like they'll say something like oh tests are for the privileged which is like yes but the point is 
to change that and to not you know just yeah. because they've been for the privilege yeah. doesn't mean they should yeah. continue to be for uh, also also comrade pinky i have a suspicion that the sort of leftists who say that are themselves quite are privileged them- and can, uh, oh, can, yeah. can oh yeah have those it's usually guilt that's driving these i absolutely despise kiran majumdar shaw like not just about this but about a lot <laughs> of things he has said in the Same. past and done in the past gets something out of him which is like pure hatred like i absolutely don't like her like so she's like that caricature yeah that except they evoke an exceptionally uh, hateful kind of vibe from within me because they're just so callous in the way in which they they frame these things her nirmala sitaraman amit shah times you know these all the pandemics of the thing. world will obviously not get rid of him because he's protected by his i don't know the evil that runs through his veins or something like <laughs> i would really like the middle class of this country to mm-hmm. please stop being such bootlickers like please like stop I guess, like get a get some fucking sense of self respect honestly like, like do it for yourself like seriously like no bourgeoisie in history has been this shameless like seriously yeah it's getting to my nerves the class it's like everybody else you know people like there's like random podcasts supposed to be based on evil personalities that are doing episodes on modi right now like even like basic podcast bros are like have co- have come to the realization that modi is evil and let's not real- dis- dis- dis on fellow <laughs> podcasters we are also basic podcast I bros if the basic podcasts are getting to people and getting them to rethink their politics i am all for it go basic thank brother thank you basic podcast bros please <laughs> dis more on the ruling oh, class God. thank you for your service like i would I press the f myself for uh, a moment to believing that we were better than than what we are by completely forgetting what it, what we're doing in the current moment but yeah yeah we are anyway, basic podcast bros but we are superior than these ones who refuse to realize that they have become a complete joke on the global stage and the only way to not do that is to really like see the truth instead of pretending that they've they've you know that they know something better than literally everybody else like you know we have talked a bit about movies we have talked about books we have talked about painting but you know even the internet world is a culture these podcasts we just were having fun with uh sorry guys we are not dissing you uh uh these podcasts are also culture youtube is also culture and people yeah. are responding to the pandemic in various ways on these mediums perhaps we should talk a little bit about that as well because i think that counts as well like what are the different ways in which people are responding and and how are the indian ways different like <laughs> the, the, i feel like that, that is, is a, the whole episode all on it yeah way. really right like like so there is this weird like here is what i am noticing there is this weird attempt to ape but the aping is not going properly and it like it it hurts you how much the aping is not going properly like you have like westerners saying oh we will cook because we are locked up here we are making bread and then you have indians who are like we are making bread ंग्लिश 
hope that I would see something interesting. And it was basically all these Instagram influencer type with their fine china making hummus and like you know like uh, salad. But like India, maybe खाना होता है like butter chicken भी बना सकते हैं आप लोग मतलब. नहीं exactly. I was hoping it would be like. Not being parochial. Not being parochial. No, but is there? Is it? Is it possible that it's because India is in lockdown and people have limited ingredients, so they can only make boring white food? Or no, I, sorry, I, my timeline. Look, I am locked down and I am making food. Okay, like <laughs> food is boring, yes, but this is like I absolutely don't like that line that just because something is Western, we shouldn't be doing it or whatever. No, no, but, but you know who makes hummus in India and like shares it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but exactly. it's annoying, and especially is once you go to the West and you realize, like I don't know, I feel like my hatred for yuppies went up tenfold once i actually went to the west and i was like okay these people do it here why are you doing it over there you know what i mean like well like, obviously what i'm thinking about is food like, presentation as well right it's like, not just about the cooking it's a whole cultural presentation of food and what it means yes yes people exactly. are performing in these like, spaces and that really gets me they are trying to ape other people in distress which is so weird you have italians yeah. on balcony singing songs to stave of despair which is a heroic thing and then yeah. you have indian aping them and i'm like organized Yeah, I don't know. There like, seems to be a crisis of originality with us for a while now, and I, I, I have been trying to get to the bottom of this honestly for a while. I, mean, and... I don't want to bring up Ramayana, but you know, let's think about why Ramayana is starting to re-air again now on Doordarshan. It's not to put or hair, no, nothing. You don't have any hair. It's it's okay. imagination is bereft of to end on a note of hope. I will say, even with all of this going on, because you know, yes, of course, India is well and truly fucked. But <laughs> the thing is that I feel like compared to my Western timeline. um i feel like there even the public intellectuals have been far more focused on um just their like own mental health and talking about i don't know strength and affirmation all these things to some extent i still think that the people that i see who are at all concerned about this and who are you know activists academics whatever it is a still a little more outward facing and people are talking more about um oh yeah see i am not like i'm saying that we need to fight i think that some people are fighting i think yeah. we are also fighting in whatever way yeah. we can and i think yeah. these times are an opportunity i am very happy comrade pramod is not around to do his black pill nonsense so <laughs> uh, like culturally at least look you know i have been in a few meetings on zoom and like hundreds of people come just to listen to random crap like it's hilarious like how much free time people have these days and yeah. i think that we can use that free time to mount some kind of stuff like at least try to get people to look at the class nature of what is happening i mean we know we know that akshay kumar movie where he becomes the hero of covid is going to come next year we just know oh, it's going God. to happen so that, in yeah. some way, anticipating that i'm trying to think of you know writers poets performers who should be staging alternative forms of you know dissidents resistant narratives writing that 24th century version of samskara right, right? Um, and at the end of the day like i think that it, no matter how much indians try to ape the west or whatever um there's some, there's a way in which people still can't think of themselves entirely as these like tragic noble individuals just holed up in their homes you know there's something yeah. about life in india that forces you to think of yourself as part of a larger public uh so hopefully 
something will come of that yeah. it's kind of telling that you know for all our like uh, you know anti caste pretensions we have come back to samskara of all things yeah. samskara hi likh do yaar chalega मिडिल class uh you know b- 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 elite or whoever is is waking up to this moment and sort of really seeing the crisis and i i agree with chandu they're there i i come across them whether on social media or whether through the larger social circles i inhabit they're there they're uh, there and yeah and they're mm-hmm. seeking something right and i wonder yeah. like what what can be done to bring all of these seekers together like there and must also, be some just to tie up like the the different traditions we've been talking about i i think something that would honestly be wor- like worth aspiring towards in our context is to sort of situate the individual like within this wider network right to keep that public commitment first and foremost to never become completely um individual centric but also to not give up on the idea of the dignity of the individual the fact that everybody yeah. suffering does have a certain gravity and a certain depth no and, and we can't treat bahujan lives adivasi lives muslim lives as cheap right which is also what yeah. uh, a big part of what this um, very limited culture imagination we're living in right now is pushing us to um, and that's what we have to push back again so yeah new forms of art i'm always grateful for memes that's always another social media <laughs> yes. cultural phenomenon that i think i also i'm doing. i i'm very curious to see the wealth of tiktok videos that will emerge from oh yeah so oh, yeah. <laughs> elite people if you have money and time please try to write a book i don't know like perhaps you too can become famous and have controversial movies made on your book who knows good we culture. should really good bollywood dystopias like basic level zombie bollywood movies are you know this dystopia chhod i would do anything good bollywood bollywood mein good nahi hota bollywood <laughs> like you, you know any thoughtful whatever thoughtful we need any interesting plot on mass disease uh, uh, would do like i have very little expectations frankly speaking i am yeah. like looking at anything and and uh, people on like uh, like people making videos and podcasts uh, wonderful job you guys are doing keep at it people who are cooking on camera please be uh, original like record what you actually make bread focaccia bread like come on guys like really is is, is that the extra, is, 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 is i love the... of focaccia bread in india without the western oven and with some fairly middle class ingredients this is what i'm hoping I'm for like, that ingenuity but yes. like weird So now that we're wrapping up our episode once again a very big thank you for sticking with us uh, especially those of you who've been with us throughout the whole year I don't know why you do it but not complaining deeply grateful even and those of you who give us money again <laughs> don't know why you do it but we could not have done it without you stay strong people don't blast and don't yourself. fear the reaper think about how you will reengineer some of your social relations as a result of this that is very true. don't give in to the whole productivity bullshit like 
do other yeah. stuff your job etc it can wait yeah, we are in a damn to, pandemic listen to useless podcasts now if not now then when okay bye then. have a good day bye bye have a good day